and thanks for being here. I know it's a, it's a big gift to God. <laughs> I really believe that we come here tonight and uh, give up our time. Now, we have a few warm-up questions before the video. I want you to think about these things. So let me see if I get this slide projector thing to work. <laughs> Daniel told me how to do it. But that doesn't mean I can make it work. <laughs> Let's see. I suppose it hit play. Yeah. I got it. All right. We're warming up. <laughs> I can't read it, though. Went back. Now, go this way. Okay. How does the modern-day theology of God's unconditional acceptance affect many people's understanding of sin. Now, raise your hand if you want to say that. <laughs> Jan will bring you the microphone. Um, unfortunately, they feel like, well, I could just do whatever I want because then I could, you know, the grace will just come because his, that unconditional, you know, his grace is endless and it's merciful and it's deep and wide and and all of those things, but that does not give us the permission to continue in our sin. And so we have to change that that way. That's, that's, that's pretty much. Anybody else? Unconditional acceptance affect many people's understanding of sin. Now, how many of you believe once saved, always saved? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. <laughs> It depends on when you read the scripture and what's going on at the time. I think when I was a child, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. And a lot of Baptists there, a lot of people believed and once saved, always saved. But they didn't live it. And that's the, that's the modern theology of that God's going to accept me no matter what I do. I went to the altar when I was a kid, so therefore, yeah. I was inside with my son. He's complaining a lot times he grew up in church then fell away and is trying to come back but he will say well I prayed so hard I cried out to God and he didn't answer my prayer and and so he knows nothing about forgiveness even though he's been taught he's got to ask forgiveness for the things that he but he hasn't <laughs> done anything wrong in his eyes <laughs> so and that's that, the problem I see a lot well, of and, and that's it that, yeah I talked to a gentleman just recently who thought he had it all wired and a lot of people that are in sin, <laughs> they got it wired, you know. They don't need anything else. Yeah, right. I think, and I was telling uh, Millie this th tonight, I really, I think sometimes God will allow things to happen to us to bring us to a decision about Christ. We might think everything's fine, we're doing good, but there's, there's something that'll happen. I don't know what. I'm not saying, I'm not wishing that on you, but... God in his wisdom <laughs> knows how to do it. Now, let me see if I can get the other question. How has your own reasoning sometimes led you down the paths that are not pleasing to God? I, I've done this. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest, I've done it too. <laughs> yeah, I can say in my younger years, did things that I... My, my, I came up with my mom reading the Bible every morning before we ate. But then when I got in college and wanted to live my own way, 
I thought, this isn't hurting anybody. I'm not doing anything to hurt anyone. Yeah. It's yeah. not hurting me. It's not hurting them. But later I found out it did. Yeah, it's, uh, some things I did when I was younger, I felt like, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, right? He does. But uh, we, have to, we have to be conscious of that. Okay, one more question, then we'll do with this little video here. In what ways are faith, is it up there? There you go. In what ways are faith and obedience inseparable? In what ways are faith and obedience inseparable? That's a good question. Makes you think anyway. Um, for me and my walk, I've come to learn that sometimes when he asks me to do something that I'm kind of like, that is so far from left field. I don't know. He just asks me to trust him. And when I walk out obediently, I have to have faith that he has me and that's what he wanted yeah. for me. And yeah. it always ends up being exactly what he wanted. And it's actually something that makes me super happy to do. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I find sometimes God uses this with me is my obedience is not depend on what I see. What, what, is the, what did I say in earlier? What are we supposed to be to God? Servants. Servants or slaves or whatever. We are all slaves of God. We don't have our choice to do what we want. Uh, so we have to obey. And if God doesn't, like, let's say somebody goes to the hospital and they're sick and, and they don't walk out and they're not, they're not healed and you pray for them and they're not healed, what, what's the deal there? You have to have faith that God heard you. And that's, I always say God has a better plan. <laughs> so remember, he knows the future. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen to that person tomorrow. He knows everything. So I trust him and, and I let him decide. <laughs> But I will do what the, my flesh wants to do, and I'll pray for the sick. But God does what he wants to do. And uh, we have to have faith that, that he knows what we, what we prayed and that we're obedient. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and can you get the, 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 the thing going? Video? Okay. could a harsh or corrupt leader actually provide protection for you? How is it possible to be completely right and totally wrong at the same time? How do you respond to and overcome unfair treatment? You're about to discover some principles that can change the entire course of your life. There is nothing we have that God hasn't given us. You see, God gave us grace. Submission deals with your attitude. It is easy to obey God when the sun's shining. There is a secret place under the shadow of the Almighty where there is liberty, provision, and protection. The following 12-part teaching series by John Bevere, along with study guide and a copy of John's book, Undercover, exposes the subtle yet rampant tactics the enemy uses to keep you from the promise of protection under his authority. John Bevere Ministries and Nelson Multimedia Group present Undercover. 
there is a door by which you can give Satan access to your life. Find out how Adam and Eve opened that door and how you can keep it shut in Lesson 3, The Consequences of Disobedience. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, and we've been talking about God's direct authority. Undercover means to be under his authority. There are people today that think to dwell in the secret place is in the prayer closet, to dwell in the secret place is to be a member of a church or to pray the sinner's prayer, but you will see throughout Scripture that to be undercover means that you are submitted to his authority. There are two ways in which his authority manifests. Number one, his direct authority or inherent authority. Or number two, his delegated authority. God has delegated his authority in the social realm or society realm, I should say, in the family realm and also in the church realm. But right now what we are talking about is God's direct authority. Let me say this. If you are ever going to be able to be submitted to his authority, you must have a revelation of God. Because he and his authority, his authority are inseparable. There are people today that I find say, I know Jesus. I know the Lord. But yet they are not acquainted with his authority. You can't separate the two. You can make a Jesus that has saved you and manage him and make him give you what you want. But that's not the Jesus at the right hand of the Father. That's exactly what the children of Israel did when they created the calf. They called him Jehovah. They called him Yahweh, the calf. They said, Yahweh who delivered us out of Egypt. In other words, they still worshiped Jehovah. They did not look at that calf and say, behold, Baal, who delivered us from Egypt. They acknowledged him as a Jehovah. They just changed the image of his glory. They created a Jehovah that would give them what they wanted. The, anytime the church creates a Lord who will give them what they want, a Jesus, what they want, you will find a church that will become very fleshly. Are you with me? Fleshliness only comes out of rebellion because rebellion is idolatry and we will see it today. Now I want to say this, in these next couple of sessions, we're going to get hit with some pretty hard truths. But you know, I remember when I was a young boy and I was scheduled to get my tuberculosis vaccine. I did not want to get it because some friends told me the shot really hurt. And I remember it took two nurses to hold me down and they still couldn't get the needle in my arm. Well, then my mom and dad sat me down and they said, son, tuberculosis is very serious. It's a disease. And I was acquainted with that disease because just a year earlier, or not that disease, but another disease, because a year earlier my sister had died of cancer. And when that was explained to me, then I went in and I willingly volunteered because you know what? I wanted a little bit of pain now to avoid the great disease that was going to bring a lot of pain later. And I have found any time the Word of God gets a little painful, or a little strong, or a little hard. It's only God saying, I'm just trying to protect you from greater pain in the future. Can you say amen? amen? There are people today that have done a very foolish thing. They have reasoned that disobeying God, that the consequences they'll face in disobeying God will outweigh the benefits they'll get in their rebellion. But yet, as my wife has said, there is bondage in rebellion, but there is liberty in submission. I hope in these next two sessions that you're going to clearly see what the consequences of sin are and you're going to see that the consequences are much worse than any kind of temporary benefit you'll get from disobeying God's authority. Can you say amen? With your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 4, I want us to look at the first verse. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. 
Verse 2, then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In other words, Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer. Are you with me? Verse 3, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Everybody say an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now an offering speaks of our life service to God. Can you say amen? Verse 4, Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now watch this carefully, verse 5. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now that right there blows a tradition that we have in our churches. I have heard people say over and over and over again, God will accept you just the way you are. No, that's not true. God will accept you just the way you are if you repent. Trying that, try telling that to Ananias and Sapphira, he'll accept them just the way they are. It's too late. Are you with me? Notice that God not only had no respect for Cain's offering, but he had no respect for Cain either. Verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Now watch this. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. That's what, listen, that's what happens every time you preach to a religious person. Whenever you confront a religious person with truth, they get angry. Now, let's talk about this situation here, and I'm going to modernize it, all right? I like to bring things to today. We got two sons here, or two men, I should say, that are working diligently to bring an offering to the Lord. Now, we are not talking about one who is working to bring an offering to the Lord, and the other one wants nothing to do with God. We're not talking about one who's coming to church seeking God and the other one sleeping in on Sunday morning. His, he likes going to the bars, the strip joints, and the football games all the time, and he wants nothing to do with God. We're not talking about that. We're talking about two men that are both raised in the church. Now remember, they're mom and dad, Adam and Eve. I'm modernizing this. They're raised in the church, and they're both diligently working to bring their offering to the Lord, right? Now, if you really think about it, Cain is working harder. Now, I know a little bit about farming, and I know a little bit about shepherding, but I know enough to know this. Shepherding is hard work, but farming is much harder. When you shepherd, you have responsibilities early in the morning and late in the afternoon, but in the heat of the day, you can sit underneath a palm tree and sip on a cool one. You got it? But farming, you have to work through the whole day. You have to bring forth the fruit by the sweat of your brow, the grain by the sweat of your brow. So Cain is actually working harder than Abel. Yet, when they bring their offerings, God rejects the one who actually worked harder to bring his offering. Now, the question is, why? Why does God actually not have no regard for the man who worked harder to bring his offering? Well, the answer is found with their parents. You have to go back to the garden. When God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, the Bible says that he crowned them with glory. All right? They did not have physical clothing on. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed. The reason they were unashamed is because literally the glory of God was on them. He crowned them with glory, Psalmist says. And that word crown literally means this, to circle or surround. They were literally clothed with God's glory. However, when they disobeyed God, which we talked about in depth last session, the moment they disobeyed God was the first thing the Bible says. They knew they were naked and they sought to cover themselves. Isn't that right? So immediately, their senses of their flesh took over. Prior to the fall, their spirit dominated them. 
They were completely God-conscious. They were not self-conscious. After the fall, that is when self-consciousness entered the human race. You know, it's amazing to me how many preachers today try to build people self-conscious instead of ministering to them a God-consciousness. Jesus came to deliver us from a self-consciousness. If you look at the garden, there is no description of Adam and Eve. If you go through the whole Testament, whole Old Testament, you'll find descriptions of people all over the place. David's handsome. Abishai, they talk about his hair, or excuse me, Absalom, talk about his hair. Talk about how beautiful Rebecca is. Sarah is, right? You come to the New Testament, and you don't find descriptions of people anymore. Why? Because Paul says, henceforth, we don't know anyone after the flesh. He said, we don't even know Jesus after the flesh. Jesus came to deliver us from a self-consciousness. Are you seeing this? Prior to the fall, now listen carefully to me. Prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were completely God-conscious. Their living was in God. However, when they took of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree, now listen carefully to me, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did it represent? It represented a source of right and wrong outside of God. Prior to their eating of that tree, all their living was in God. There was no source for right and wrong outside of him. Their life was before him because all of his ways are just and righteous. There wasn't any kind of what's right and what's wrong. But when they ate of that tree, it represented finding a source for the knowledge of good and evil or a sense of what is right and wrong outside of God. Are you with me? Even though what they ate was good, it still was rebellious to his authority. Are you seeing this? That's why the very first thing that God said to them after they ate that fruit was, who told you? In other words, you have a source for what is right and wrong. Now, obviously, outside of me, you obviously ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve ate from that tree, what they did is they embraced the principle of reasoning and they forsook the principle of obedience. You see that curse on humanity ever since. Today, you have society saying, this is good. This is right. This is good according to humanity, but yet it's rebellious to God. And yet it has become so perverted that just as Isaiah said, the days would come when they'll call evil good and good evil. That's exactly what's happening. But there's levels of that found in, every, in everyone. Are you seeing that it's not walking under the submission to God's authority? So when Adam and Eve ate, they then needed to cover themselves. And so God came into the garden and God said, who told you? And then after he dealt with them, he killed an animal and clothed them with the skin of the animal, thereby showing Adam and Eve what his acceptable sacrifice was. They attempted, first of all, to cover themselves with fig leaves. That's the fruit of the ground. Everybody say fruit of the ground. But then God said, no, I'm going to clothe you with this animal, and I believe it was a lamb. And God clothed them with the skin of the animal, and thereby God showed him his way. Now, everybody say this. Adam and Eve were ignorant. Cain and Abel weren't. Cain and Abel knew what God desired. Cain and Abel both knew that it was not the fruit of the ground that God desired. So when Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground, it represented serving God his own way. He is still serving God. He's still wanting to go to church. He's not sleeping in, remember this. But he's wanting to do it his own way. Are you with me? So look what God says to him. Verse 6. Are you there? 
<clears throat> so the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, now, would you look up at me? What is it to do well with God? What has he said over and over and over and over and over again in the scripture? I desire obedience and not sacrifice. So, to do well with God is to what? To obey him. Everybody say obey him. Obey. You know, I wish every one of us as believers would do a study throughout the scriptures and do a study on obedience and obey and just run through the Bible and read them all. You will find out that this is a high priority to God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 says this, that Jesus is the author of salvation to all who obey him. Acts chapter 5, verse 32 says this, that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. There is a premium placed on obedience. As a matter of fact, you will find that God says to the children of Israel, I'm fed up with your praise and worship, get rid of it. Get rid of your praise and worship. Get rid of your musical instruments. Quit bringing lamb sacrifices to me. And they said, why? He said, because when I spoke, nobody listened. They were bringing lamb sacrifices, and God said, your lamb sacrifices are like breaking a dog's neck. They were burning incense, which is a type of praise and worship in the holy place. And God said, your, praise and your incense that you're burning in the holy place, to me, in my eyes, is like offering up something to an idol. And they said, God, why is our lamb sacrifice like breaking a dog's neck? Why is our incense that we're burning, our praise and worship, like blessing an idol? And God said, because when I spoke, nobody listened. So you will see this over and over. The, listen, folks, I'm going to say this to you. The highest form of worship is not singing. The highest form of worship is obedience. If you notice, the first time the word obedience appears in the Bible is Genesis chapter 22. And that is when Abraham said, we will go up and worship and come back. What Abraham was doing was obeying God all the way to completion, all the way to the mountain. Was he ready to offer up the most important thing in his life? He was obedient even in the most important area, and God said, now I know you fear me. So you will find out if you really study the scripture. See, the problem is we can preach something and teach something for so long that eventually we believe it's truth so that when the real truth comes along, we, re we reject the truth for the falsehood that we embraced, that we taught so long. And if you really sit down and talk to people today and you say, what is true worship? They'll tell you it's nice, sweet music, singing songs to Jesus. But that's not true. All right, so now look at this. So the Lord said to Cain, verse 6, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? Verse 7, if you do well. Everybody say, if you do well. What God is saying is, if you simply obey me. Everybody say, obey me. One, he is saying to Cain, listen to me carefully. He's saying, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Look at this. Will you not be accepted? In other words, Cain, if you take some of your crops, trade it for one of your brother's flocks, bring that to me, I will accept you just like I accepted Abel. Amen. I am no respecter of persons. You're upset because I've accepted him and haven't accepted you. Cain, don't you realize this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with you? He simply obeyed me. You didn't. Are you with me? Now watch this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now watch this. If you do not do well, or in other words, if you do not obey me, sin lies at the door. Everybody say the door. And its desire is for you. Wow. But you should rule over it. Wow, there's a mouthful here. First of all, God says its desire is for you. Do you notice that sin has desire? 
Now, let me, let me kind of, let me kind of give you an illustration to show you what, what he's talking about there. When sin was released into the earth by Adam, it was almost as if a wicked man, a wicked scientist, released some poisonous gas into the atmosphere. The only protection you would have from that gas is to have the proper equipment on. Isn't that right? But that wicked gas would permeate everywhere, whether that scientist's presence was there or not. When sin was released into mankind, that sin was released, and it has a desire, just like that poisonous gas would have a desire to destroy you. It has a desire, even if the presence of Satan is there or not. That is what the Bible means when it says the whole world lies under wickedness in 1 John chapter 5. The whole world is under its influence. But you've got to have the protective gear, isn't that right? Another way of looking at it is like the law of gravity. What does Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 say? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Everybody say, after the Spirit. After the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life. Everybody say, law. law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, this is, this is good news. There is two major laws at operation today in the realm of the Spirit. There's the law of the sin and death, and there's the law of the Spirit of life. Now, the way I like to see it is like the law of gravity. There is a law on the earth, and it's called gravity. Isn't that right? You take anything, and you take it up to a certain level, and you drop it, that thing's going to its lowest potential energy. Isn't that right? Translated, take something up to the top of a building, let it go, it's going down hard. Right? That's the law of gravity. You cannot escape it. It is everywhere, correct? There is no place on the earth where the law of gravity doesn't exist. Any place on the earth, you drop something, it's going down to its lowest place of gravity, right? However, one day, scientists, engineers, discovered there was another law, and it was called the law of lift. And they found out that the law of lift superseded the law of gravity. Are you with me? And then these two guys came along, named the Wright brothers, and they figured out how to put this thing into motion. And they began to fly using the law of lift. Because when you created the right air, airfoil and you put enough thrust behind it, you're going to fly. Now, last year alone, I flew over 200,000 miles to preach the gospel globally. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Every time I get into that plane, I am so thankful for the law of lift. Why? Because the law of lift sets me free from the law of gravity, right? And here I am, soaring around the earth, right? Enjoying. I mean, I'm going to Singapore, the other side of the earth. You go any further, you go start coming home. But you go all the way to the other side, 23 hours, cruising along, 500 miles an hour, right? Because the, or 600 miles an hour because of the law of lift, right? But how many of you know, if the pilot shuts off the engines, shuts off the wings, guess what? The law of gravity is still in effect. And baby, you're going down faster than what you went up. Isn't that right? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Listen to this in, Gen in Romans. Boy, you know, you got, you know what? Put your marker right there. You got to see this. I want you to see this in your own Bible because we're coming back to Genesis. Go over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Are you there? Now, in Romans 8 chapter, look what Paul says. Now, look at verse 2. I quoted to you. I'm going to read it again. Verse 2 says, for the law, everybody say law, law, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Notice their laws. Laws cannot be changed. 
I don't care how much you pray, you fast, you weep, you sing, it can't be changed. That's a good thing to know. Okay? I don't care how precious and cute you are, it, law doesn't change because you're cute. Okay? You got it? It's a law. And this is a New Testament law. Are you with me? Now, the wonderful news about this is the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Just like the law of lift sets me free from the law of gravity. But guess what? You stop operating the principles of the law of lift, you go on with the law of gravity because it's still in effect. Are you with me? That's why Paul comes along and says in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, he's speaking to believers, not unbelievers. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to, its, to the flesh. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Pretty plain, isn't it? Why? Because the law of sin and death is still, is still in operation. Now, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is also called the law of faith. Everybody say the law of faith. Now, if you look carefully in the New Testament, you will find out that Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, brags about Abel. It says, Abel offered a better sacrifice through faith. Everybody say, through faith. Now, listen to me carefully. Do you notice that God connects his obedient works with the law of faith? Now, this is something a lot of people don't understand today in the church. Faith and obedient works are directly connected. See, unfortunately, we spoke a truth, but we didn't tell the whole story in some arenas. We told the truth that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. But my Bible also says whoever hears the word of God and doesn't do it has deceived himself. There is no faith in deception. Are you with me? Faith and obedient actions are directly connected. The greater the obedience, the greater the faith. The greater the faith, true faith, the greater the obedience. You can have people that say, I have great faith, but if they're not obedient to authority, you're, fine, you're showing me somebody that has a lot of mental assent and they have a lot of knowledge, but they didn't make the transformation. Now go back to Genesis chapter 4. God says in verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you just obey me like your brother, I'll accept you just like him. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Now notice this. Watch what he goes on to say. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. How do you rule over the law of gravity? The law of lift. How do you rule over the law of sin and death? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Which, folks, is what? Obedience to the lordship of Jesus. He is the author of salvation to all who obey him. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Now notice God says, sin lies at the door. Everybody say the door. door. Say it again, the door. the door. There is a door in the realm of the spirit, in the life of every single human being. Whether you're aware of that door or whether you're not aware of that door does not negate its existence. It's there whether you realize it or not. And that door is the door that gives legal access to sin and demonic power into your life. And God tells us right from the beginning, right from the sons of Adam, right from the very beginning of the Bible, what opens that door and what slams it shut. Obedience to God, listen, slams it shut. Disobedience throws it wide open. And when that door is open, you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. You crack that door, he'll blast it open. And that's exactly what happened with Cain. Cain opened that door through his disobedience. What happened? Anger entered into his heart. Jealousy entered into his heart. Hatred entered into his heart. And that hatred soon turned into murder. 
And this young man, now listen to me carefully, this young man who started out serving God and actually worked harder than his brother ended up killing his own brother. Now, if you looked at this situation and you said, my goodness, and you didn't have the inside scoop that God gives us right here, and you looked at this and you saw these two men starting out serving God, and you look at one who ends up being bragged about in Hebrews chapter 11 in God's hall of fame of faith, and the other one who's become a murderer, you'd go, what happened? He's actually working harder than the other one. If God wouldn't have given us the inside scoop, we wouldn't have known. I have traveled to thousands of churches worldwide. I have been traveling nonstop for 12 years. I do not pastor a church. All I do is travel every week on another conference or church or Bible school. And it used to baffle me. I would come to churches that would have some of the greatest preachers and teachers in the body of Christ coming through those churches. And yet I would find more people bound to sexual sin, bound to lust, bound to bitterness, bound to uh, uh, jealousy and envy and other forms of sin. And I would go, what is going on? Why is this? Until God opened my eyes to this very truth. They have not walked in the law of the spirit of life. They have not walked in obedience to the Lordship. You see, God gave us grace to empower us to walk in obedience. See, most people today, their view of grace is the big cover-up. Grace is not the big cover-up, folks. Grace empowers us to do what truth demands of us. Hebrews 12, verse 28 says, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us receive grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. Grace empowers us to serve him acceptably. Are you seeing this? Here is Cain. He murders his brother, and now he becomes belligerent. Everybody say belligerent. Because God comes along and says, Where's your brother, Cain? And Cain says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, First of all, look at the irreverence that enters into his life. He has lost the fear of God. Secondly, he's out of his right mind. He's deceived. How many people would honestly think God doesn't know where Abel is? I mean, come on. But that's exactly what happens when you begin to disobey. What happens is you bring God down to your level. You're deceived. And now you think you know as much and sometimes even more than God. I mean, let, let, let's face it, folks. Lucifer worshiped right at the throne. But how absolutely ridiculous is the thought that he could exalt himself above God? He brought God down to his level and below. That is the manifestation of rebellion. You lower the image and the glory and the deity of God and you make them more manageable. And you convey to God by your disobedience, I know more than you. That's how serious it is. And that is why the Bible so clearly says deception would run rampant in the last days. The reason being... It's because people would love themselves more than they love God. I want to read to you right from the book. Anyone in their right mind would know God knew where Abel was. But this is what happens when someone turns to reasoning 
and allows disobedience in their life. They lose touch with the reality of spiritual things. They attempt to lower the image of God to their level and limitations and imagine themselves as wise as God or sometimes even wiser. They are not in their right mind. Of course, this is first seen in Lucifer. Reasoning birth from iniquity led him to believe he could overthrow God. How foolish. Yet he's led many in his ways. Can you see the importance of obeying God? Cain ends up a murderer. He ends up belligerent. He's out from the touch. He's out of touch with the presence of God. He's no longer walking with God. That's why in our own lives, we want to pursue obeying God and pleasing Him. Do any of us know more than God? Of course we don't. But when we disobey, that is the message we communicate to God and to those around us. In the next lesson, John continues his teaching, The Consequences of Disobedience. If you are enjoying this teaching series by John Bevere, you need to send for a free catalog listing a variety of other videotape teachings and a host of books. I, I do like him. <laughs> uh, Jen and I both think that he's a lot less proud than he used to be. <laughs> we, went to, we saw him at Covenant Love in Fayetteville. Has anybody been to that church? It's a great church. I, 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 we went there and we saw John Bevere. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know who the pastor is, but uh, it's it's amazing church. Okay. Let's see. Get this thing. There we go. Okay, that's not it. Okay, before Adam and Eve and their fall, their actions were guided by what? Knowledge of the right or wrong, reasoning, knowledge of God, and instinct. Just which one is right? The third one, knowledge of God. Okay, that's, uh, that's good. Cain's sacrifice did not please God. Why didn't it please God? I've never heard it explained like that. Yeah, I haven't yeah. either. And I uh, often question too. There's, a, there's a when I was a when I was younger, I had a hard time with this. <laughs> uh, what Cain do? <laughs> I mean, why did God not accept his? Uh, okay, God knew his heart. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, in food bank, we sometimes get stuff that's going out of date. <laughs> and it's still good, but it's only got a few days left. And I, I think Cain may have given some, uh, he may have given some fruit that was kind of out of date. <laughs> so. But his explanation of that it wasn't blood sacrifice, you know, which right from then, God was pointing to, to Jesus' blood. But, you know, it, I'm assuming Cain knew that it was supposed to be a blood sacrifice, you know. Yeah, that's, that uh, illustration about lift and... Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about that particular explanation either. Um, because at that point, there were 
He didn't define for us what the sacrifices were. But later on in the Old Testament, it's clear that the sacrifices could be blood offering or they could be grain offering. So there was really, you know, and you're and it also was depending on what you could afford, yeah. you know. So birds and different things like that. And like that, I think it was the heart. Now, my, my question was, how would they know to, to give something to God? You ever thought of that? There's a lot we don't know about Genesis. It, there's a lot that's between the lines. <laughs> but uh, Cain's sacrifice did not please God. So God knows everything, and he's good. So I believe it. <laughs> so he didn't, it didn't please God. The desire to sin is what? Is to what? What is the desire of sin is to disobey. disobey. How do you disobey? Okay, not doing what God tells you to do. <laughs> there you go. Uh, control of rule, everyone and everything. We're trying to just, and I think I probably have lived this before. We do what we want to do. God will forgive us. And he'll, you know, we we can do this, we can do that, but can you be obedient? <laughs> can you uh, desire? It ain't easy to do wrong when you have the Holy Ghost in you. That's right. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not. All right, now, our, our modern day, what happens if you murder somebody? Are you punished? I was, um, when I was a teenager, I must have been 19 or 20, I was in a truck, and we were loading, the, unloading the truck and putting it on the rollers, and this guy was kind of 10 or 15 years older than me, and he looked at me, and he says, I think I've seen you before. I said, you look kind of familiar, too, and I found out he was my dad's organist. He, <laughs> he always went barefoot, so I thought that was kind of funny, and... Uh, <laughs> But he killed his wife, and he spent two years in jail, two years for murder. So I think what's happening now is our, our, our system, and you can speak to that, I'm sure, our system seems to be allowing more than it used to, to allow. Some sins we, we feel are worse, at least the public does, than, than sins. So some of the worst sins, like rape, and stuff, you know, it's a terrible thing. But, uh, you know, murder, two years. I mean, I couldn't believe that. He was out, married again. <laughs> so, I don't know. That was a... Yeah. He had her in the trunk when I was talking to him. Yeah. He, he, said, there, he said, the police have been after me, and there's been a lot of prep. I mean, he's, I can still remember. His name was Weldon. And he... Uh, he said, oh, I just go out, go out and see if they mess with my car. Well, yes, she was in the trunk. <laughs> Two years. That's amazing to me. All right. The primary characteristics of sin is that it is the desire to have extreme pleasure, take the place of God, satisfy desires, and be self-centered. Which one is it? Oliver. <laughs> all of the above. Now, I can't, I, there's, no, there's no choice for all of the above now. <laughs> Having extreme pleasure, t 
take the place of God, satisfy desires, and be self-centered. I think Quit. you said be self-centered, didn't you? The primary characteristics of sin is that it desires to take the place of God. That's, that's uh, okay. what John Bevere says. <laughs> like I, some of it's pretty close. <laughs> The primary characteristic of sin is desire to take the place of God. In other words, I, I can do this. <laughs> Exodus 20, and Moses said to the people, Don't, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so, so that you may not sin. Remember what I said, uh, sometimes things happen that aren't very pleasant, but it, but it ends up bringing you closer to God. I think that's what that's saying is, uh, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. How does this passage use the word fear in two different ways? What's the two different ways we fear God? Yeah. Uh, do not fear is just don't be afraid. And his fear that you uh, may be before you is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And when you have that, you, you won't sin. All right. What, uh, what they say is, is the first fear is respect. I have respect for God. The second fear is uh, I don't trust. I don't trust. I can't do that because it's wrong. <laughs> It's basically, uh, let me read you what he said. He said, the first fear has to do with will, with terror and fearful condemnation over God's motives. The second fear has to do with awe and wonder over God's holiness, justice, and righteousness. So the way he says it, how does this passage use the word fear in two different ways? The first one is respect, and the, and, and the second one is, boy, he is holy. <laughs> I have got to do it just right. And it it kind of inter- they kind of go together too. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. The, uh, think about um, as a child, you're disciplining a child, and they said, you know, they're going to get disciplined, so they obey because they know they're going to get disciplined. Yes. <laughs> as opposed to honor and respecting, I'm going to honor you and reverence you, and I'll do what you said. So. They both are obedient, but one is not a very great motive. <laughs> okay. I'm still rebellion in my heart, even though I'm doing what I said I would do. Remember that uh, illustration Jesus used? He said, somebody says, hey, go, go, go work in the field today. He has two brothers. And one brother says, okay, I'll go. And then the other one says, no, I'm not going. But the one that says he wasn't going ends up going. And, and the one that uh, said he would didn't. And, and he asked the Pharisees, which one is it? Which one obeyed me? That's an interesting uh, illustration. That's the rebellious attitude. I'm sitting down, but I'm standing yeah. up in my heart. And if you're punishing a child, they can see, you can see them doing it. You know, but I'm yeah. not going to give you the. <laughs> okay, this the, this is not a question, but kids are born in sin. Now, why is that? Do you think a one a one month old child would sin? Why do they scream and holler when they don't get their way? <laughs> that uh, that's inside of children, and uh, and we as parents have to 
guide them along the right path. Yeah. Um, this is kind of, it's sort of topic, but kind of off topic. Uh, I, I, that verse right there, I believe it's going to be highlight the year 2020. That the spirit of the fear of the Lord is coming and it's going to be like Ananias and Sapphira times and and yeah 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 <laughs> look look for the year 2020 huh that's pretty close yeah I, I do I do think that that respect and the way he, the way he talked about the airplane really gets gets me. I understand that because I, you know, I was in the Navy and we did a lot of flying and and things go up because the wings are built just right. So it violates the lift. So, you know, when you fly in an airplane, you you can go up, but the law of sin and death is what makes you go down. And so in other words, there's consequences for your bad behavior. And those consequences come whether you like it or not. They're just a law. It says you go up. If you have everything right, you're, you're climbing. If you don't, you're, you're, you're sinking, okay? And that's the way it works. <laughs> okay, let's see if I can get these questions right here. In what ways have we as a society lost both these fears of God? I think I've given some examples of that. Has anybody got anything on that? I think uh, it probably has to do with the way we hear. Like, you know, um, I was thinking when the Pharisees would see the miracles and they wouldn't uh, pay attention to, to that, they would say, oh, you're healing on the Sabbath. Yeah. And, and, yeah it uh, wasn't a miracle. It was, it was the law that right. they made up. <laughs> right. And now, now in our society, like, uh, people will say, well, the doctor can change my sexual orientation or something. So it yeah, must be and, meant uh, to be. And, and they, you know, um, they're their focus or their interpretation and their paying attention to what God is wanting is shifted. It's off. Yeah, and uh, have you ever heard the saying that if it's okay with you, it's okay? Or if a child would say, well, I feel this, it may not be right. So what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong, and you can't change it. You can't change it by, well, my thoughts are such and such. You know, I, I don't believe in I don't believe there is a God. I believe that there's there may be a, a, a great spirit somewhere, but he doesn't care about me. You, you, have you heard this kind of cock? I've heard it. So you don't make the rules. And I want God to make the rules. I want somebody who knows the truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the truth. <laughs> so <laughs> he knows the truth. He, he, he lives it. And uh, that's the one I want to follow. Yeah, I can remember having. Yeah, I can remember having uh, a prayer every morning at eight o'clock over the intercom. The principal said the prayer. Isn't that something? Thank you. So a lot of our, it's not what you think it is. It's what God says it is. <laughs> so that's that's what I'm trying to say. Is that we we get into uh, 
I've been beat around by life, and life will beat you up. How did Jesus learn? He suffered. That's how he learned. <laughs> so we will get beat up by life until we realize that God knows the truth, and we as people don't. And I trust him. <laughs> so what is happening to our society as a result of this? Chaos. <laughs> Doctrine of demons, isn't that right? What's going on with this, uh, I'm not a man, I'm, I'm a girl? Now, who's to decide? I know this is a, a touchy subject, but there's some people that believe we can choose what we want to be. You can choose You can choose a man if you don't like it. You can make yourself a woman. <laughs> that, uh, that one guy that... Uh, the, the press really hit him hard. He, he said he was, a, he was a, a, a man who wanted to be a woman, and he, had, he got the operation. He, looked and he said he looked in the mirror, and I, he said, I'm an ugly, I'm an ugly woman. <laughs> and Ruth yeah. Jenner, yeah. I'm an ugly woman. <laughs> so, <laughs> so God did a better job at it. So. <laughs> yeah, do you want to say something? Yeah. So it's not up to you. Don't make up your mind on what you're going to do. Just say, what God, what do you want me to do? That's what I'm saying. Homosexuality. Teachers are taught not to say anything bad about homosexuality because James may think it's okay. I had a, I had a man in my small group about 10 years ago, and uh, he was a homosexual, and he got saved. And... Uh, he said to me one night, he said, what do you think? You think I was born this way? <laughs> I said, you were born with a tendency, but you weren't born with a sin. And, uh, and they're, they're, you can see kids as they grow up. You can, set, you can tell where their temptation is going to be by the way they act, usually as child, children. And uh, this is just what I've learned. Uh, but they're... We, we all have things we want to do, we cannot do because of the law of sin and death. Isn't there such a thing as a person that's born, is born in the wrong body? I don't think so. I think God has, God, to, to my way of thinking, God is in charge. He, you wouldn't be born in the wrong body. Well, how about a person that's born with both equipments? You know, that's, well, I don't, that's I don't, something that they couldn't. Tony Perkins, I just read this yesterday. Tony Perkins for the Family Research Council, they just put out this whole thing on how to, how parent, I think I'm going to order a bunch for the church, but it was about how to train your children with all that's going on in the schools right now. And he said, look, that's a rare event when people are born with two different body parts, okay? Very, extremely now, rare, yeah. But God said from the beginning, he made them male or female. You know, when you got the equipment, you got the equipment. And so you may be confused. Now, it also says in uh, Exodus 20, verse 5, it says, the sins of the father visit to the third and fourth generation. When you start going back 300 years and start looking at family trees about what happened, this whole door of confusion and what's open is now visiting in this generation. So, um, but God didn't make any mistakes about this. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So I, there is no scientific evidence of that. There is none. I've done the research on that one. Made, yeah. You know, same-sex marriage is the same thing. Two men getting married and they're raising children. 
Now, we have, I, I, I don't like that. I don't think it's biblical. I think it's wrong. And, and we have to say that. We can't just be quiet. I mean, there are times when you can't say something, but there are times when you can. So use those to your advantage and, and use, uh, say, say, I don't think that's right. I, I disagree with that. Yeah. There was a girl doing our food, like she was cooking our food, and we went through the line, and she was, she was trying to be a boy, and her coworker came up to help me and asked me if I had already been helped, and I said, oh, she's got it, and then I sat there and thought about it, and I even asked my husband, I was like, what do you do in that situation? Do you call them a him, a her? It, an like, it? I don't I know. I don't really know, and I don't want to offend anybody. I but know. So I prayed about it, and God's like, you called them by the God-given gender that's, that that's they were right. given. Yeah, that's good. And that's, I mean, so it just, that's what he told me because that's what he ordained. That's what he did. That's right. Well, you, t you teachers. <laughs> You teachers I mean, have I, a hard, I, what, hard, you can't say anything I'm bad I'm so about glad it. I retired because yeah. I just heard, I think it was yesterday, that now in the schools, if a child does not know yet, if they're boy or girl, that you have to address them as they. And I thought, how appropriate. <laughs> yeah, they, the demons. I mean, hello, you know. <laughs> right there in the back, Jan. I just wanted to share that this is a huge prayer point that we all need to really engage in because our Joshua has that experience going on right now, and we have been mentoring him. He's in a class, a special a school that only has four to a teacher, and one of the, the students that are in his class, and this particular student is a girl but is known as a boy and has to be respected as a boy is able to go in the bathroom and all of this. So it's a very, I mean, it's a very real thing. And it's a very like when your child comes home. So just to share that it is definitely something that we as parents, grandparents, spiritual family, you know, as a parent of a child that is in that situation right now, we covet your prayers because, you know, Joshua comes home and he says, well, mom, I was walking out of the bathroom and this person went in the bathroom, and I refer to this person as their name. I don't say he, she. When Joshua's talking about this person, I always refer to as the person's name. And, I, and Joshua has had an opportunity. There's another student that is a godly, and it's not a Christian school, is, you know, is a God-fearing child, and you can tell. And they had conversation, and the teacher is also. So even within these situations, I can tell you that God is working because even the teacher, you know, these two boys, my Joshua and the other one, had a voice. And the teacher agreed but, di agreed but disagreed and said, this is a question that you need to ask your parents. So it was such a blessing to experience that. But just to encourage that, you know, even our spiritual family here needs, we need to really up those prayers for our youth and our children's ministry. That's good. That confirms. I'm going to order from Tony Perkins. I thought it was great. I had my wife and I read the whole pamphlet, but it was this whole thing about, you know, the duality of bathrooms and everything. And 
the confusion is the, the leadership in this particular school is saying, well, that's the law now. No, you, let me tell you, you can tell your child, I want a separate bathroom there, and it gives you the point-by-point legalities of this thing and how, and how to address it. And how to, if you have to bring it to the school board, we can do that as well. Uh, you know, uh, of them being exposed to that, and and then now they're going, what in the world is going on? So they have a certain trauma going on. Yeah. It's all demonic to bring confusion into the process of, uh, of this. Uh, when our son was in second grade, he went to school with a boy who was named Ethan, and then the, the year later, First, first grade, and then in second grade, Ethan became Ilana, and Anthony came home, and he was confused. He he didn't understand. He goes and he asked. He said, "Mommy," and we were saying our prayers at night. He said, "Am, am I going to want to be a girl someday?" I said, "Well, God made you a boy, and that's who you are." A year ago, um, that some daycares do not have they have gender non-gender toys and, and non-gender talk to the kids. They don't recognize girls and boys. Oh, this, thing, this thing must be going rampant in the schools because my great-granddaughter, she was approached by another girl and she says, I'm a boy. I'm a boy. She says, no, you're not. And she said, yes, I am. Jada says, you've been deceived. He sure did. But it's, it's the real, it's, when you look at the whole um, strategic plan the enemy has in this thing, and, and that door that opened uh, is going to take us some time to get it closed, I think, so. It's quite interesting, too, because within the secular world, I've, um, I've been in vocational ministry for years, in chaplaincy. What they embrace is spirituality. When we say spirituality, again, that's spirits. Because even um, for a chaplain to be able to walk under that title and not to um, own up to the fact of either female or male, I think that is an absolute abomination. But there are many organizations, agencies, schools, all different facilities are accepting this. So I'm glad you're going to be bringing in that teaching because, again, we need to be bold. We need to be obedient as Pastor uh, Terry's teaching. Okay, the next, uh, look up Genesis 3, 17, and 19, or we'll read this on the wall there. Then, then uh, to Adam he said, because, you're, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall Eat out of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, 
and you shall eat the herbs of the field. In the sweat of your, of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Whew. I used to hate Adam. <laughs> why'd you do that, Adam? <laughs> why'd, why'd, you, why'd you make that mistake? That's when I was a child. You know? I, was, uh, I was thinking, what in the world? One guy messed up, and, and so we all have to suffer. <laughs> That's the way I thought anyway. <laughs> Y'all have had that same thought, huh? <laughs> Some of you. All right, how did sin and death, death's entrance into the world, change mankind's existence? How did sin and death, death's entrance into this world, change mankind's existence? You all will do what? You, you live now, you will die. <laughs> okay, every person now lives under the dread about their eventual appointment with death. So we all die. It's appointed man wants to die. After that, the judgment. You've read that. That's, that's why. But that's what uh, happens. Let's go to the next one. I'm just about done here. Just about, we've got about 10 minutes. By choosing sin, Adam chose his own way instead of God's. Why did this simple act bring about such grave consequences? I didn't. It's not there? Okay. By choosing sin, Adam chose his own way instead of God's. Why did this simple act bring about such grave consequences? No, I didn't know this when I was younger. <laughs> what... Uh, by choosing sin, Adam chose his own way instead of God's. And that's the biggest. I like what Billy Graham always says, the Bible says. <laughs> I mean, look, we can live and die by the Bible. We may not understand every bit of it, but what we do understand, we can live on. We can, God, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And, and that's all you have to know. <laughs> he is greater than, than Satan. So Satan can't do anything to you. Unless God allows it to happen. And some people might disagree with that, but I don't. By infecting the original member of the race, and its consequences are passed on to the entire race. So he messed up one time. Genesis 4, 6 through 7, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, and you will... If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now, this, this is a good scripture because it tells you that you can let sin into your life. If you choose to do the wrong thing, the law of sin and death goes into effect, and you start going down the wrong road. Now, God has created the law of righteousness, but the law of sin and death will cause the, let's, let's use the airport, the airplane, it'll cause the plane to fall because uh, that's what he's saying. Now, could he, could Cain have, have gotten it right? He had a chance to get it right, didn't he? God was, God uh, gave him a chance. 
So I think there was something in Cain's mind uh, that let Satan in, that let him change the way he thought. And uh, this, uh, we'll have to ask him someday. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Don't even... Cain's anger, I think I talked about that. Whoops. I always do this. The obvious consequences of sin. I can't read it. It's too small. There it is. Well, let me read the question. In what way does sin and the, what way does sin desire to uh, rule over us? In what ways does sin desire to rule over us? Don't look at that slide. I can't get this. I can't find it. The degree to which sin rules over us measures the degree of danger we face from destruction and, and hell. Sin represents the ultimate effort to resist God's authority and rule. But whereas God, God's rule is for our good and for our benefit, sin's rule is for our destruction. So just remember that whatever happens to you is God. And you might cause some of the bad things to happen to yourself. I mean, I'm not saying you can't. But God will allow these bad things to, to happen for one reason. I think, uh, is that it, consequences of sin? Uh, I want to get the uh, the message Bible. Well, these, this is like I said to Daniel. This is a smartphone. <laughs> Not all right. Operator error. Okay, the, the Bible verses is First John five nineteen. And I want I, just look at me and. Instead of the screen, because I, I can't find it on there. Can you find it, Daniel? <laughs> we know we are children of God, and the whole world around us is under the control of the evil one. Y'all believe that? Well, let me, let me read the message Bible. Message goes from First uh, John 18 through 21. Oh, it's up there. We know that none of the God-begotten God makes a practice of sin. It's this fatal sin. The God begotten are also the God protected. And this is the one, this is the line I really like. The evil one can't lay a hand on you. <laughs> the evil one can't lay a hand on them. We know that we are held firm by God. It's only the people of the world who continue in the grip of the evil one. And we know that God came so that we could recognize and understand the truth of what God wants. What a gift. And we are living in the truth itself in God's Son, Jesus Christ. This Jesus is born both true God and real life. Dear children, be on guard against all clever 
facsimiles. I can't say the word. All right, the evil one can't lay a hand on you. Just remember that. As long as you're obedient, the evil one doesn't have control of you. And that, uh, that's out of the Message Bible. And I, it's the same verse is contained in it. It says, we know that we are children of God and the whole world around us is under the control of the evil one. So that's, uh, that's what happens. Okay, it's 8 o'clock, so I'll, I'll do one more question because I wanted to... I even looked over this. All right, this, applying this lesson, the consequences of sin are sometimes painfully obvious. At other times, there is virtually no way of recognizing that sin is in our lives. In order to be aware of the sin that we are constantly surrounded by, it's important that we stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and with the church. The Holy Spirit guides us through the church and through communion with each other. And the last question is, list several ways in which you have overcome sin with the help of the local church. Now this, this should be... Uh, how does church help you? Coming here tonight, what's what's it do? Yeah. <laughs> List several ways in which you have overcome. Uh, well, because we come here collective, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, and it's written to study to show ourselves approved workmen that need not be ashamed to rightly divide the word of truth. So it's like times like this. Um, that we sit under the tutelage and the anointings of you all um, pastors that are under the under shepherd, and we learn, we grow, and gives us an opportunity to discuss and to share, and we walk away with more knowledge and under the obedience of the Holy Spirit. All right, this the question would be made better. What if somebody says, "I don't need to go to church. I read the Bible." What would you say to that person? Okay, so they were they're in disobedience of the Bible they said they believe. I I've kind of knocked it, I've broken it down. I said, Well, the church are people like me, like you, all striving to serve the Lord. <laughs> and we and we get to know these people and we see their hardships, we see their their, their trouble. And, uh, we, and, and, and it helps. You're going through this and you got through it? <laughs> Help me. Well, yeah, you're not in it alone. So I think that's the biggest reason people go to church is because we want to be part of a congregation. People that watch t uh, TV in the morning, Benny Hinn or whatever, uh, they don't have that, those friends that, uh, that are trying to do the right thing. Some people think, well, I watch TV, I watch Joyce Meyer every Sunday. <laughs> and I've heard people say that. Well, let's all stand up. It's about time to go. I, I went up with this stuff twice and still messed up. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> your heads and let's pray. God, I just pray that you'll help us to do things your way. And what if, if there's a secret sin that, that, that we don't recognize, show it to us. Point it out. And that's one way the church can help us because they can see these things sometimes. And always help us always to point back to the Bible and what the Bible says because we don't know. We're not smart enough to know everything. But God, you are. 
So we trust in you, and we trust in what you're doing, and we just ask that you go with us tonight. As we go to bed, before you, before you go to sleep, ask God to help you and thank him for all the things he did for you. In Jesus' name, amen.